Hello. We're really glad that you've joined us, and we're really glad that you've got interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we're glad that you've joined us today as we continue a conversation that we've been having on a very important, fundamental matter of the faith, a matter of the plan of salvation. And whether this is the first time you've heard about the plan of salvation, whether you've uh, been a Christian for a lot of years and have heard about the plan of salvation many times, it's always good for us to talk about uh, God's plan of salvation. Not because somehow that we forget, uh, but it's always good to be reminded of the foundational truths of Scripture. It's good to be reinforced in the things that God has revealed to us and why we have done what we've done. And it helps us to keep it in mind so as to uh, make sure that our foundation is secure and also to share it with others. Of course, that plan of salvation is to hear, to believe, to confess, to repent, to be baptized, be obedient. And we've already seen it's necessary to hear the gospel if you're going to accept its message and to be obedient to it. But of course, even if somebody's going to hear it, for them to hear the message, which is the basis upon which they can have belief, somebody's got to speak it. Somebody's got to preach it. And if somebody's going to preach it, they've got to be sent. And we've seen that all Christians are called in First Peter 2, 9 to proclaim the excellencies of God who has delivered us out of darkness into his marvelous light and to share that with others. We've also looked at belief and to see that to believe was to give mental assent to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to trust Him, to go beyond just accepting that true mentally, and to shape one's life according to that belief. And that belief or faith demands obedience, and to follow the standard, the one that we're trusting, just to follow the standard of God in, in Jesus Christ. And belief is so important. Again, we can't underscore understate this in, in the importance of faith, that it, without faith it is impossible to please God, he says in Hebrews 1, verse 6. But when we believe, as we saw, we've got to do something about it. We've got to show that we trust. And what's the first thing that we're going to do to show that we believe? When we look in the New Testament, we see uh, a very strong correlation between belief and confession. First, in Matthew chapter 10, and verse 32, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. To acknowledge is also to confess Christ before men. And if you do that, Jesus will con- before men, uh, Jesus will confess you before the Father, but if you deny Christ before men, you will be denied by him before the Father. An example of this is in Acts 8 and verse 37. And uh, in many Bibles, Acts 8 and verse 37 is kind of relegated to a, a note. Uh, some people are very up in arms about this. It does seem that some of the earliest witnesses of the book of Acts don't have that verse right there. Uh, but even if it's not exactly what Luke wrote there, it is certainly the type of thing the eunuch would have said in that time period, and it certainly shows us the kind of confession that was being made in a very early time. And he says there, Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. 
and that's of course the response of the question that he had asked. See what here is water. What prevents you from being baptized? And and notice that that the first thing that Philip emphasized: if you believe with all your heart, you may that you may be baptized if you believe. And upon that, the the eunuch replies: I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch makes the confession because he's been told that he has to believe and that he recognizes his need for baptism. And so that's certainly a strong evidence for the confession. Romans chapter 10, we see that we've been talking about Romans chapter 10 many times. In fact, we read this, read this in terms of belief. Uh, but also we can see, again, in Romans 10 verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here in Romans we see that confession leads to salvation. If you confess Jesus, you'll be saved. And that it's tied to belief. And this is very important because uh, it shows how we get a demonstration of belief is through that confessing. And that is the only explicit association in the scripture, by the way, between confession by mouth and salvation. In Hebrews chapter 13, and in verse 15, the Hebrew author says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So, what is this offering that we offer to God? That we, that, that our lips acknowledge, that our lips confess the name of Jesus. And in 1 John chapter 4, and in verse 15, John declares that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we can see from all of these scriptures a powerful witness that we are to confess Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, we can see that in Acts 8.37. It's an oral confession. That the eunuch, upon hearing the gospel, understands he needs to get baptized. And we will talk about baptism in a future lesson. Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so the eunuch responds, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that's the type of confession here that we're talking about with initial obedience we're talking about. That you make this confession, this type of confession that the eunuch made. The same confession that Peter made in Matthew chapter 16. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In 1 Timothy 6, in verse 12, Paul um, is speaking to Timothy and says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in, the t- in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, Paul exhorts Timothy to keep um, the good confession. Uh, uh, to hold the eternal life that he'd been called to, to which you made the, about which you made the good confession, the the faith that he confessed the good confession. What's that good confession? Well, then he continues on uh, talking about Jesus and the good who made the good confession uh, before Pontius Pilate. 
and that is to say and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to confess this uh, before men, something similar we see in Mark 14 and verse 62. Uh, and of course we understand this based upon the contrast, which is denial, which we saw in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, where uh, those who confess, acknowledge Jesus before men, Jesus will acknowledge him, but those who deny him before men, Jesus will deny. And of course, the great example of that is Peter in Matthew 26, 69-75. The same man who had earlier said that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and a few hours earlier had said that he would never abandon or deny Jesus in the heat of the moment when he was like, you were with him, and a moment where he could have confessed Jesus. He said, deny him. I do not know the man. I, I do not know the man. He said that three times. Um... Now, when G Peter was with Jesus and the other disciples, it was very easy to vow and never deny him. But when he was alone and faced with persecution and trial, he utterly denied knowing him. And now, yes, Peter was eventually restored and had opportunities to confess Jesus before others. Um, but it, that certainly is the danger here, is, is something that we should take very seriously. Because part of confession is not merely confessing Christ before the witness of fellow Christians. Because that, that's part of it. And that's the main thing that is involved here in the uh, confessing Jesus. Uh, we are confessing that he is the Christ Son of God. That we are saying that because, again, belief is internal. You can't know what someone believes by looking at him. You can't know what someone believes by doing a physical analysis. The only way you can know what someone believes is because uh, they actually say it. They actually come out and say what they believe. And that's why confession is so important. Uh, confession from the Greek homologeo to speak the same thing as. So you're speaking the same thing as your belief. And so that's why it's important. But our confession is something that, yes, we do at that initial moment. Yes, we do at the first moment. But it involves a whole lot more uh, than just that. Because we must continually in our lives confess Jesus even though that means we're going to risk hostility from the world. Peter will, again, as we said, confess Jesus in Acts 4 and 5 before the Sanhedrin, and, and, and powerfully confess that Jesus is the Christ who's been raised from the dead. And our confession is something that we need to make manifest in our daily lives. Because God is not pleased with, with quote-unquote, Sunday-only Christians. Uh, where the only time you know that they're religious is because they go to church on Sunday morning. And so we, we need to look for opportunities to confess Christ. If we're in a conversation and spiritual things become the topic, will we will be willing to present the truth and to stand for it? Or are we going to shrink away or just uh, act like we're just not going to talk about those type of things? If we hear about people uh, talking about God, if we're in the midst of people who are talking about God, are we going to demonstrate to them our faith in Christ? Or are we going to allow those social conventions, that fear of rejection, fear of rebuke, keep us from proclaiming that faith to others? So Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel, for his, uh, the power of, sal of God is salvation, to do, both for Jew first and also to the Greek, in Romans 1 and verse 16. The reason he was not ashamed is he was willing to tell people about it, even though he knew that it was going to get him into trouble, and it led to him getting stoned and getting beaten and getting imprisoned. He still proclaimed Jesus is the Christ. And so, that is why we must do what we can to confess Christ before men. 
and so uh, we need to confess Christ before men in our words. But we also need to recognize that our deeds also uh, say a lot. And the reason that we talk about this is, yes, confession is a matter of words in terms of what we've talked about with initial salvation. We talk about confession in general. We talk about confession very easy, as we said, to focus on the words because that's what's involved. But we have to remember that a confession is a communication, and we also communicate in how we act. Because we can confess or deny Christ by how we act and how we live. Just as God is not pleased if we profess Christ among saints and deny him before men by words, God's also not pleased if we act one way around the Christians, but then act differently in the world. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, our conduct among the Gentiles is to be honorable. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 16, uh, Peter here has some great uh, wisdom for us in how we're to live our lives. He says that, the will of God, that by doing good, in verse 15, is you should, should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we're supposed to not cover up evil by our liberty, but to use our liberty to serve God. That our conduct can have a very positive impact on others. As he had said back in verse 12, that our conduct among the Gentiles is to be honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that's, of course, the whole idea of you're the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world in Matthew five thirteen through 16, is that our conduct can absolutely have a positive impact on others. And in our world today, people are much more interested to see what we're doing before, uh, than what we're saying. Uh, it's not mean what we're saying is unimportant, but we're not going to get a hearing for what we're saying until they can see that we're doing the things that we say. And if we do the work of God and help those in need, and by being a light in the world, others will be prompted to give God the glory. But if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, and our deeds are not confessing, but in fact denying or rejecting the things that Jesus has taught, then we're giving those who are against God reason to blaspheme. And that will not go well for us. So our confession is very important. We need to also keep it clear that when we're talking about confession here, we're not talking about confession of sin. Some people have taken confession to mean that. In 1 John 1 and verse 9, there is a time for confession of sin in our lives as Christians, but that's not what's under conversation here. Because the confession is not that you've sinned. That That's not really a confession. That's just a recognition of reality. The confession is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what Peter confessed in Matthew 16. That's what the eunuch confessed in Acts 8. Uh, that's most likely what uh, Timothy's confessed in First Timothy. And that's what we need to confess. We begin that confession when we come to belief in Jesus and before witnesses we say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we make good on that confession by taking opportunities we're given to tell people about Jesus and to show what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So that is why confession is necessary for salvation and why confession is associated with belief. So, okay, you believe you are to confess. You confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You confess that which you believe. Now what? Well, you've just confessed that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So now, how are you supposed to live your life? When we talked about belief, we recognized that belief is putting trust in the one that we have believed in. 
So if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we're saying Jesus is king, that's Jesus is Lord, Jesus has power, and that means I do not. And if Jesus has that power, it means we are supposed to do what he says. And that begins first and foremost with the next with confession, as we said, because you now actually say the things you confess, and it flows naturally in to the next aspect, which is repentance. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Matthew summarizes the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom as, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the end of the gospel of Luke, in Luke 4, 24, 46-47, Jesus in the resurrection says to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so again, that emphasis on repentance. In Acts 2, 38, when Paul, Peter has just preached to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, explaining what was going on with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in light of Joel 2, explaining that this Jesus whom they had crucified God had raised from the dead, he reaches his great moment, the climax, that, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And all of these, all of these Jews are cut to the heart, and they want to know what they are to do. And Peter says, what do you do? Repent. And let each of you be baptized. But he focuses, first thing to do is to repent. In Acts 17 and verse 30, uh, uh, Paul, when talking to the, the Greeks in, in, in Athens, says that uh, God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now calls upon all men everywhere to repent, because the day of judgment is coming, which we have the assurance of, because he has raised his son from the dead. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, uh, Paul provides a bit of an explanation about the nature of repentance that's important for us to keep in mind. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So he's hoping that they're having a godly grief which leads to repentance and not the worldly grief that leads to death. Uh, we were talking earlier about Peter. Peter had a godly grief when he denied Jesus. He repented and he no longer denied Jesus. Judas had a worldly grief. He he felt guilty for having handed over the Son of God and betrayed him to uh, the Jewish authorities, and because of that, he went and hung himself. So it's a very vivid demonstration there of what it means to have godly grief versus worldly grief. And that's an important thing to keep in mind there, is the idea of grief. Because what is this repentance thing about? What does that word repent mean? Well, in English, repentance means sorrow for anything done or said, the pain or grief which a person experiences in consequence of the injury or inconvenience produced by his own conduct, according to Webster. So in there you see their grief. And, so, and you see that here very clearly in, in 2 Corinthians, the idea that godly grief leads to repentance. That repentance is a realization of how badly we've screwed up. And, and that's certainly there. Now, in English, repentance therefore really means I'm sorry. Sorrow and grief and regret for past behavior. And this is in the Greek word, as we can see from 2 Corinthians. But the Greek word goes beyond that. And this is something very important to keep in mind, because a lot of times people will just limit repentance to just saying, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. But that's not what it is strictly in the Greek, because the Greek is a much more expansive idea. The Greek word is metanoeo. 
literally uh, mind changing. It's it's uh, to change one's mind according to there to repent to change one's mind for the better heartily to amend with abhorrence one's past sins, and that's why uh, some newer translations are going with change your heart and mind for repentance. And that's clunky. I understand that, but it really communicates what the idea is in repentance. We are to express sorrow for our past sins. That we are to be ashamed of the conduct we, we participated in the past, according to Romans 6. Uh, but that's kind of the minor chord in repentance. The major chord in repentance is to change one's life. Okay, what I did wrong was, was wrong in the past. So now what? It's not just saying, well, this needs to be gotten rid of. It certainly does that, but also fills in what needs to be done. That we're to change our minds. That we're supposed to go toward the way of Jesus. So in the scheme of the plan of salvation, repentance is the point at which we make the mental commitment to no longer walk in the past, futile ways of sin, but to serve God and to work righteousness in service to God. And this is put in many ways in Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, Peter encourages them, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Uh, We mentioned Romans 6. Uh, We'll certainly talk about it in terms of baptism, but even when it comes to repentance. Romans 6, beginning in verse 20, Paul says that... When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So when you're passing from death to life, you're no longer a slave of sin, but a slave of righteousness. You're aiming toward eternal life and not death. And so repentance is the beginning of that change. And if we're going to make the change from serving sin to serving righteousness, it's because we've made the decision to do so. This is very important. Uh, We don't change our deeds and have our mind follow. A lot of times, that's why there's that idea in the culture, you have to fake it till you make it. That A lot of times you have to have the thoughts. For and that's why Jesus says in Mark seven that uh, you're not defiled by what goes in you, what comes out of you defiles, because out of the heart of a man comes all those things. That you don't do what you do until you've thought it and felt it, then you do it. So if we're going to change our behavior, it's because we've changed our thinking first, and that is why repentance is so important. Does repentance mean that actual behavior change is not important because repentance is a change of mind? No, because the expectation exists. If you change your mind, you'll change your behavior. But you're not going to change your behavior if you don't change your mind. So throughout the New Testament, Jesus and Peter and Paul are not just going to talk about the conduct. That the whole Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, what Jesus is doing there is saying, okay, all these laws, you shall not murder. You should not even have the bitterness towards your brother that would lead to murder. You shall not commit adultery. Having the thought, the lustful thoughts in your mind when you see that woman, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. To not even have the thinking and feeling that leads to the action. Sure, in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, there's plenty of places where the behavior itself is condemned. 
And that's not to say that we are okay if we change our mind, but our behavior doesn't. There's a major problem if our mind changes and our behavior doesn't. But for certainty, our behavior will never change if we don't change our mind first. And that is why the emphasis is on the change of mind. That we are converting to become Christians. We want to be rescued from our sins. There's a realization there that we cannot continue to live in them. But instead we must entrust ourselves to God. That he will strengthen us to fulfill his purposes. And that we will seek to be his obedient servants. Now, repentance is very important because, yes, that's in the plantation, just like with confession. These are things that we are to do when we want to be saved initially for what we call initial obedience, that moment we convert. But just like with confession, repentance is not a one-time thing. We don't repent the day that we convert, and then we don't think about repentance again. It's a continual thing. In Revelation 2.5 and other places, in Revelation especially, Jesus calls upon the, the, the church in Ephesus to repent. So they've been Christians for years. That's the part of the problem, actually, in Ephesus. They've left their first love, and so he calls them to repent, to, to have the love they had at first. So whenever there is something in our lives that's not in accordance with God's world and word, we need to make the mental change so that that change will happen in conduct. That's why in Acts 26 and verse 20, Paul tells uh, God has charged Paul to preach the gospel. And that they should repent and then have deeds in keeping with repentance. That's what's so important here. That it's a continual thing that we need to continue to change our minds and then change our behavior. And if our behavior is out of line, we need to see what's wrong with our minds so that we can get back to the point where we are living in harmony with the will of God. So yes, repentance is sorrow that one feels for sin. But it really is in the end a complete change of mind. It's a point at which we determine men to no longer be a slave of sin and walking in futility, but will be a slave of righteousness to eternal life. If we're not going to change our mind, we're not going to change our actions. But we can't just change the mind. We must also have deeds keeping in repentance. So we've seen why confession and repentance are part of the plan of salvation. That, yes, we believe. Great, we now have the, the view that Jesus is the Christ Son of God and that we are to, to trust in Him. And the first things that are initially necessary to do that is, okay, you believe, you need to make that clear. You make that clear by saying what you believe. And that's why you confess before many witnesses. And if you're going to confess and say, hey, Jesus is Lord, you need to then act like it. And the way you begin acting like it is to recognize, well, if Jesus is Lord, then I need to do what he says to do. And very quickly you realize, hey, there's a lot of things that I've done that, and I'm and, and I'm probably liable to do again that, that aren't according to what Jesus has said. And we make the mental change. We're sorry that we've done those things in the past. We, we have that regret and sorrow. But that compels us to make the mental change that we're going to follow the way of Jesus. Are we going to stumble? Yes. That's why we need confession of sin once we are Christians. But we need to make that commitment and renew that commitment so that we can turn away from the ignorance of our passions in the past, and Peter says, and to be holy as God is holy. And so that is why confession and repentance are part of the plan of salvation. And why we need to confess Christ in our lives by word and deed and be repentant people, not walking in the ways of darkness, but walking in the light. Maybe you need to 
become a Christian. You need to, to hear. You're hearing. You, you you're believing it. You want to confess and repent. You need to get baptized and, and become an obedient Christian. Or maybe you have questions about some of the things we mentioned, or you like to talk about another topic. You have a prayer request. You just need to talk. And there's something that we can do to be of service. Please let me know. Please contact me through my website at verbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Uh, or if you're interested in learning more about the Venice Church of Christ, you want to check us out, uh, we're online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, Instagram, Venice Church, or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.